Good morning once again. It is Easter Sunday, and that got me into Carolina Blue this morning. I'm going to have to take a picture and send it to some friends in Carolina. They may not believe it. Uh, but it is, it's also April Fool's Day, and I think that's an interesting pairing. We'll consider that here in a few moments. We're in Mark's Gospel, church. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And we'll read that text here in just a moment. The title of this morning's message is Arise, Receive the Resurrection Life. Arise, Receive the Resurrection Life. It is Easter. Easter is a day that we focus on the centrality of Jesus's bodily resurrection to our identity and to our life together as Christ's church. We gather Sunday after Sunday after Sunday because really the totality of the Christian life should be Easter, right? Everything that we are and that we hope to become and all that we long to see rises and falls on this question. Nothing that I've preached in my time as pastor at North Roanoke Baptist Church is possible for us to achieve or to fulfill unless Christ is risen. And so the question is this, has Christ really been raised from the dead? It's the central question of the Christian faith. If Jesus is not really raised from the dead, Paul says we are above all men most to be pitied. In other words, the world should look at us and scoff. They should feel sorry for us. If Jesus has not overcome physical death with his bodily resurrection, then the world is right. We are the foolish ones. I cannot remember a time in my 40 years on this planet when April Fool's Day and Easter coincided, but it is a most appropriate pairing. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 21, he continues, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So some of you this morning might say, I, I was just coming to church to check it out hear the message, and that sounds awfully foolish. Yes, it does sound awfully foolish, and God is pleased through the foolishness of the message that is proclaimed to bring people to everlasting life through faith in His Son. Easter can only be truly enjoyed by those who in the eyes of the world are truly foolish. But if Jesus is risen, death does not have to have the final word in our lives, and it's eternally better to appear foolish to the world than it is to miss out on the hope that is available to you through faith in a resurrected and living Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Mark's gospel today, you might say, why aren't you preaching from chapter 16 or from later in the gospels? Now, the reason we're going to consider Mark's gospel in chapter 5 today is because we've been walking through Mark's gospel and we've seen that Jesus has power over sickness. He's got power over disease and demons. And now today we find that Jesus even has power over death. And it's a power that is available to us when we lay our fears down and believe in Jesus. Would you join me in standing for the reading of God's Word? Chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around Him, and so He stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And as we saw last week, there's an interruption. A woman with a perpetual flow of blood who's been bleeding for 12 years 
comes and interrupts him and touches his garment. And Jesus is, if you will, a bit sidetracked in his mission of getting to Jairus' daughter. But Jesus knows full well what he's doing. And so we break back into the text at verse 35. While Jesus is still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, has not died, but is asleep. Verse 40, they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? God, we ask in the moments to come that we would consider afresh your resurrection power and how it is that we can participate in it, be beneficiaries of it. God, I pray that you would touch your church this morning with a fresh reminder of the realness of who Jesus is, the fact that he is the living, raised Lord Jesus Christ. And God, that we would apply our lives to worship you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. When my daughter Elizabeth was 60 seconds old, she was lying on a crash cart with no breath in her lungs. Her APGAR score was a 1. For those of you who are nurses, you know that's a 1 out of 10. As the head nurse reported the score, I saw the fear come into her eyes. I heard the panic come into her voice as her pitch was amplified and the rate of her speech increased. She called out the protocols there in the delivery room and I was staring at my lifeless little girl and at that moment I thought of this account of scripture, the story of Jairus' daughter and I began to pray silently as the crash team feverishly worked on my newborn girl. It's a moment that I'll never forget. As you know, Elizabeth made it. Today, her voice gives me a daily reminder that her lungs work just fine. Thank you very much. A few years later, as I began to teach the Bible to Elizabeth, she would often tell me this story was her favorite, and she didn't know the story behind the story. Whenever I would let her pick up the story, this is the pick the story that we would read, this is the story that she would ask me to read. And it's her favorite story, church, for the same reason that it should be meaningful for all of us. You see, until this point in Mark, we've seen that Jesus has power over sickness, paralysis, leprosy, nature, demons, and uncontrollable bleeding. But today we see that he has power even over death. This is the first resurrection in the Gospel of Mark, and he records it so that we can learn something now about how we can participate in the resurrection that's going to come later. 
And I believe we see five things in this text. Well, actually four and one by implication. To be rescued from death and to live. Which comes right out of verse 23. Do you see that? He implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her. Why? So that she will get well, literally be saved and have life. For us to be saved and to have life, there's five things we must do. First, we must see ourselves as dead apart from Christ. Secondly, we must let the urgency of death bring us to the feet of Jesus. Thirdly, we must abandon fear and believe in Jesus. Fourth, we must let Jesus banish our despair and our skepticism. And finally, we must arise. First, we must see ourselves as dead apart from Christ. This is not explicitly in, this point is not explicitly in the scripture. It's more by implication. The reason that Elizabeth enjoyed reading this story is because she could so easily identify with it. She saw her daddy as Jairus, she saw herself as the little girl. And I want you to see that this is how God uses the Bible to change people's lives. We, we don't just read the book as something uh, that records stories that were way back then. We read them, and they are true stories, but we also read them as stories that are wrapping us up into the story ourselves, as an illustration of how God is at work in people's lives through faith in Jesus right now. You see, church, when we read the Bible in this way, when we see ourselves in the text in this way, the Holy Spirit leads us to recognize our sin. What is sin? It's anything we say or do or think that displeases God. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which creates a big problem for us. We're eternally separated from the love of God unless God made a way for us to come back. And He did it through His Son. His Son lived the life that we should have lived, and He died the death that we deserve to die, but we must trust in Him. Our sin brings deadness to our lives. We come to see as we read the Bible in this way, that we are the man born blind, we're the leper who needed to be cleansed, we're the woman with the flow of blood, and we are the daughter who has died, or perhaps the father who began to feel as though he had died when he heard the terrible news in verse 35, your daughter is dead. Dead. It is such a lifeless word. Earlier this winter when the temperatures plummeted down to five degrees at the Palmer Ranch, it was dead cold. We've got electric heat, and if you pay for electric heat to heat your house, you can plan on a power bill that's out of this world. And so we used the gas logs in the living room, and we froze to death for a few nights there. It was dead cold. When there's a tragedy or an accident, and they bring the person to the ER, and they're lifeless, they're pronounced dead on arrival. Dead is what we are without the resurrection power of Jesus. Dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.1. And unless someone with the power to overcome death would come and enter the picture, our spiritual death leads to physical death, which leads to a forever separation from the favorable presence of God. Dead. We need someone who can raise us up from our deadness and into God's everlasting life. And we have that someone in King Jesus. His name is Jesus, the beloved Son of the Father sent to rescue the sinful sons and daughters of men. There's our hope on Easter morning. The Father sent His Son to conquer the death of the sons and daughters of men through His death and His burial and His resurrection. But that is not enough, church. It's not enough that Jesus came and He died for you and He lived for you and He's raised for you. You've got to come to Him. 
which is our second point. We must let the urgency of death bring us to the feet of Jesus. You know, church, the world is so busy trying to escape the looming realities of death. They're taking vacations. They're joining gyms. They're even attempting cryogenics and vitamins. But none of our solutions is working. 100% of the people born today, 150 years from now, if the Lord tarries, will be dead. Our only hope is found in running to Jesus and falling in submission at His feet. It's a synagogue official. And what does He do? He bows down. As Edwards writes, immediately a ruler of the synagogue cuts through the crowd. Now, a synagogue official was not a, not a paid staff. He was a, a, a volunteer. He was not a professionally trained scribe or a rabbi, but a lay member of the synagogue entrusted by the elders of the community and with general oversight of the synagogue and orthodoxy of teaching. In other words, he was a hard-working, God-fearing volunteer. But guess what? When your daughter is dying... Nothing of who you are or what you have done can help you. When I was standing in that hospital room, it didn't matter that I had picked up my life and moved to Wake Forest and lost a lot of income in the process to be there with my wife and daughter that she was dying. There was nothing that I could offer to God and say, look at all the stuff that I did. And then, woo, God's going to intervene and my daughter's going to live. No, I, there was nothing I had to do for my daughter in that moment but to ask and to beg that God would heal her. So it is with every person who is separated from God. We must come to Christ and beg Him for His healing. And Jairus understands that. He comes to Jesus the way we all have to come. Not with a long list of the things that we can bring to God that He should owe us something for. But He comes in humility. He does not come as a man with a position, but as a man who is pleading for his daughter's life. You see, when you really come to Jesus, you are stripped of your concern of what others may think of you. In just a few moments, there will be an opportunity as we sing a concluding hymn for you to come and say, I've heard about this Jesus my whole life, but I've never really surrendered my life to Him. And you'll have an opportunity to walk down this center aisle or this side aisle and to say, Pastor, I need to trust in Jesus. And when the Lord God Almighty breaks through all the crud and the clutter in your life, all the mental hang-ups that you have, it really won't matter to you what others may think. He falls at Jesus' feet and he asks him to save his daughter and give her life. To fall at Jesus' feet is to bow at his authority and to entrust ourselves completely to him. The only way to successfully run from death, dear brother, dear sister, dear friend, is to fall at the feet of Jesus and to ask him to save you. But in verse 35, it seems Jesus is too late. The daughter who was at the brink of death is now dead. What is needed is not just a healing. What is needed is Easter. And for the resurrection to be obtained that is available through Jesus, we must abandon our fear and believe in Jesus. Look at verse 35. People come and they report that his daughter has died. And what do they assume? They assume that any more pleading with Jesus is pointless. But what they don't yet understand is that reversing death is why Jesus came. He didn't come just to cast out demons. He didn't come just to cure disease. He didn't come to just to make you better for a little while so that you would eventually die anyway. He came to reverse death. This is the pinnacle of what Jesus does before he will commission his apostles to with the gospel to Israel. He's showing them that he has power even over death. Don't believe the, the lie this morning that you are too dead 
for Jesus to resurrect. You ever met people like that? Well, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've caroused with. You don't know all the things that I've done. You don't know how long that I've known that I should trust Jesus and I've put him off and I've rejected him. Jesus is not too weak or impotent to resurrect your life today. He's not too weak or too impotent to save you today because of your past. I don't know who is telling you that Jesus is powerless to overcome the deadness of your life, but Jesus does. Look at verse 36. He overhears the noise of the doubters and the skeptics. And what does he do? He doesn't even dignify them with a response. He just speaks directly to Jairus. He knows the conversations that swirl about us and within us and that lead us to conclude that death has the final say. But Jesus does not rehearse what has happened. He doesn't tell us why or what might have been or whose fault it was that the little girl died. Instead, he speaks directly to Jairus and he commands him, stop fearing and don't fear anymore. Start believing and don't stop believing. Which I can't not hear that song. Don't stop believing. Sorry. There's a song, Don't Stop Believing. Um, anyway, that's, that's what he says. He says, literally in the Greek, there's four words. No fear, only believe. The, the no is a command to stop. Stop fearing, only keep on believing. That's it. Whatever you picture of the death of your daughter right now, all of its implications, all the sorrow, all of the sadness, stop fearing, stop focusing on that, and start believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one thing that Jairus can do in this moment. He can't bring life back to his daughter, but he must shift his focus from the circumstances of his daughter's death to Jesus himself. Edwards tells us the challenge before Jairus and before everyone who meets Jesus is whether to believe only in what circumstances allow or to believe in the God who makes all things possible. We no longer have to fear the finality of death, church, because the Son of God came to give death a fatal blow when we believe in Him. The belief Jesus commands of us, by the way, is not just something we think in our head. It is something that impacts our desires and our actions. It transforms us. Jairus could have said to Jesus, no thanks, my daughter's dead. We'll take care of burying her. But he lets Jesus go on back to his house. And because we've read to the end of the story, we understand that Jesus has come to do more than just reverse physical death for a little while. He's come to raise us up to life everlasting. You see, in this story, Jesus has not yet gotten to the cross to pay the price that we should have paid for our sins, so He takes a moment to give us a preview of coming attractions. He goes into Jairus' house to prove that He has power even over death, a power that He sets aside, by the way, because He is the Lord of life. He sets it aside on the cross as He yields up His Spirit and He allows Himself to experience human death so that He can conquer human death by His very life because on the third day, Acts 13.30 tells us, God raised Him from the dead. And because this is true, the promise of Paul is true. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that He is God in the flesh coming to rescue you, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the promise and the authority of God work, God's Word tells us you will be saved don't leave this morning without knowing that you have been saved and while we will not spend long on verse 37 church i want us to see something very quickly this is a 
word to those who are already believers. It's a word to those who are already insiders. It's a word to those who are walking with Jesus. Look what happens in verse 37. Jesus invites Peter and James and John to go with him into the place of death. The disciples who are closest to Jesus get invited to witness a resurrection. You see, when the church is close to Jesus and treasuring Him above all else, that's when we get to get on the inside. That's when we get to see the resurrection of power of God at work in the lives of others. But the opposite is also true, church. If our focus is on anything other than being with Christ and being sent by Him, if it's on petty stuff and our little privileges and our prerogatives and all the little things that the church gets sidetracked by, that is when we miss out on the joy of being invited in with Jesus as he raises people up from death to life everlasting. You want to be a church that gets to go into the place where people get raised from the dead? Then we got to continue to focus on the fact that Jesus is our King and He is risen. He is the living Lord. And whatever I've got to abandon for the sake of His name to go forward and people to get saved, that's where I want to be. Fourth, we must let Jesus banish our despair and our skepticism. As they arrive at Jairus' house, the professional mourners are already there. As Edwards notes, mourners formed a professional guild in first century Judaism. They were required to be at funerals. The mourners represent the despair and the death, the, excuse me, the despair that death brings to humanity. And what are they doing in verse 38? They're causing a commotion. They're weeping loudly and they're wailing. And when Jesus comes here to save us by walking into the deadness of our lives, we are tempted to be overcome by the reality of our deadness, to believe that our death has more power than Jesus. Pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how dead I am on the inside. But he says in verse 39, the child has not died, but she is asleep. Don't miss this. Jesus is not denying the reality of her death, but he's saying that he's come to change her reality. You see, if you're dead in Christ, you're only asleep. This is why we must be careful not to presume that there are people in places around us that are beyond our reach. I've heard people in my time here at North Roanoke come to say, do you really think we can reach those people? Do you really think God would want them to come into our church? Yes, I do. And yes, I do think Jesus can reach them. If he can be raised from the dead, he can do anything. If he can raise me up to life everlasting, he can raise up anybody else to life everlasting. He knows the girl is dead, but the saving presence of Jesus makes death temporary. Let me say that again. The saving presence of Jesus in the life of a believer makes death temporary. That's why I like to do funerals where I know that I know that I know that the person whose funeral I'm preaching walked with Jesus, loved Jesus, and belonged to Jesus because the reality of that casket in front of me is not the reality much longer because they are not dead. They are asleep in Christ. The girl is dead, but she will awake and she will live. And, and get, do you see the irony here? Now the mourners laugh. They're mourning at death, and, and when somebody comes in and says, you can reverse death, that's when the mourners start laughing. It, it's not the laughter of joy, by the way. It's the laughter of scorn and skepticism and derision. It's like the laughter of Sarah overhearing the promise that God would give her a son named Isaac through whom the ruler of all nations would, would one day come. Now that ruler has come. His name is Jesus. He is that son. And guess what? People are still 
laughing. Ha! Who does he think he is? We all know about death and no one overcomes death. Death is final. It has the last word. How could he do this to this man who just lost his daughter? And what does Jesus do in verse 40? He puts the skeptics out. You know what Jesus will do for those of you who are this close to finding new life in Christ this morning? He will tell your despair and your skepticism, get out of here. You don't have any place here. The Spirit of God will come in and He will animate you and fill you with a hope that you've never experienced before. And He will cause you to get out of your seat and walk down here and experience the life transformation that only Christ can give. By the way, for parents this morning who've lost children who belong to Jesus, His promise is they are dead. Not dead, but asleep. Ready to awake at the moment our King returns. For anyone here who is still dead and trespasses in sin, Jesus can give you life because He's already stared down death and won the victory. He's entered into our death and overcome it by His resurrection. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cries out, And he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. He confronts the horrific realities of dying on the cross, and he doesn't let despair win. In this story, do you see what Jesus does? He does for the girl what he does for us. When he entered into the tomb on Good Friday, what does he do? He goes into the place where she is dead. He enters into the room where she was, verse 40. And when Jesus enters a room where someone is dead, life is going to win. When Jesus enters your, your heart, the deadness of your heart will immediately be evaporated by the life of God in Christ. And when Jesus goes into a tomb, he is going to emerge victorious because he is the Lord of life and he will swallow up death with his death. And on the third day he emerges victorious and if we believe in Jesus here's the promise of God we've already died in Christ and the grave has no more claim on our lives than it does on the life of Jesus Mark 16 6 he has risen he is not here behold here is the place where they laid him Jesus has already been to the tomb for you he's already been to the grave for you and if you will trust in him then there's a day that he is coming again and the tomb and the grave will have no power over those who are in Christ Jesus Jesus lived the life of perfect obedience we should have lived he became sin for us and he died the Lord of life experienced human death so that we could be delivered from death through his resurrection no longer despair Be delivered through faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ. Church, Jesus has done everything necessary for you to have a share in His resurrection. Finally, after He commands us to believe and not fear, after He puts out despair and skepticism, it's left for us to get up, for us to arise. We must obey Christ's command and arise. In verse 41, Jesus takes the hand of the little girl and He gives this command, get up, which means arise. When Jesus stirs within you through the convicting presence of His Holy Spirit, He is telling you to get up. Is it your day today to be raised to new life? Get up. Perhaps others of you that church, you're already awake You already know what it's like to receive new life, but you've forgotten that the reason He calls you to arise is so that you can walk. Verse 42. What does she do? She's a 12-year-old girl. She does what 12-year-old girls do. She gets up, starts walking around. I forgot all the energy I used to have when I was 12. But she just gets up and starts walking. 
And when Jesus applies his resurrection power to your life, he does it so that you will walk. He wants you to get up and walk in his path and for his glory. Romans chapter 6 verse 4, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Why? So that as Christ raised him from the dead, excuse me, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of, to the glory of God the Father, so also we might walk in the newness of life. The change that Jesus produces in our lives is immediate and astounding. You see that in verse 42? Immediately. Right away, a dead girl lives and she walks and Jesus gives her something to eat. Why does he give her something to eat? Because we can't walk very long without being nourished and eating proves that we are living. Do you remember what Jesus does after his resurrection? He eats some broiled fish to prove that he is really alive. After his resurrection, Jesus proves that he's alive. And now this little girl proves that she is alive. And when Jesus, church, when Jesus really raises you from the dead, your life will bear the marks of authenticity. There will be a change in your life. You will start walking and you will start eating. You will start walking in the path of Christ and you will start consuming the things of Christ. You don't just get saved, walk an aisle, pray a prayer and never darken the door of a church again. And some of you on Easter Sunday, you're back because it's Easter and I'm glad you're back. Come back next Sunday. We got a Sunday school class for you. We got a Bible study for you. We got worship for you because it's not enough just to be raised up. You got to walk and to walk, you've got to eat. If Christ is near to you this day, church, don't wait. Heed his command. Put aside every fear, all your doubt, despair, and shame. And like that little girl, arise through faith in him. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we ask that you would have your will and your way among us as we sing this hymn of response. God, for, for those among us who are dead this morning and you've taken their hand and you're calling them to arise, that they, that they would put aside whatever anybody else thinks and that they would say, today is the day that I'm raised to new life and I walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would be glorified in this place that King Jesus would get all the glory that he is due. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as you stand, some of you have been raised to walk, but you aren't eating. You're starving for the food of the Christian life, and it's time to recommit to getting back into the core of regular, consistent, engaged service in the family of God. And for others of you, you're here because somebody asked you to come, somebody brought you, and you're here, and you hear the voice of God calling to you arise, I want to encourage you, don't put it off another day. Don't put it off another day. Let's stand and sing.